Turned Out a Puck. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this is like one of the original people I wanted on this thing, my good buddy, Wes Eisold of the band Cold Cave, of a band American Nightmare, of the band Some Girls, of, of more. We'll get to all that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Left for Damien. If you use Facebook, you can get in touch with the show by heading over to Turned Out of Punk over on the Facebook site. There's a page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. If you don't use Facebook and want to see some of the cool things that get sent into the show that we post up different places and you know various other links and things that come up on this show, you can go to Tumblr.com because we also have a Turned Out of Punk Tumblr page as well. So if you don't use Facebook like myself, there's Tumblr. You know, there's, there's lots of things you can find this stuff on. Uh, if you would like to support this show, you can do so by heading over to iTunes and writing a review and uh, leaving a, a rating for this thing, subscribing. Uh, if you don't use iTunes and you want to support the show, tell all your friends. Tell them if you enjoy this thing. Let them know. There's, there's this cool podcast out there where they're talking about all sorts of weird, interesting stuff. Speaking of cool podcasts and letting people know about them, on that feed, you'll also see there's another podcast here called Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, where each week myself and Chris O'Toole dissect an episode of Turned Out of Punk and get into the weird, nerdy minutia, the nitty gritty, and uh, we're going to have a lot to get to after this episode. Oh my gosh, there's a lot to go into after the Wes episode. But, um, and uh, I guess that's it. Oh, if you would like to uh, find out when my band... Fucked Up is coming to your town. If you live on the West Coast, please head over to fuckedup.cc. We're doing a West Coast tour. I'm going to try and do some Turn Out of Punk stuff, too, while I'm out there. Uh, should be a good time. Should be a good time. I look forward to meeting and, and hanging out with everyone, you know? And it's going to be a, you know, like a, 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 a the Green Belt Tour 2017. That's what we're going to think of it as. Because it's just right at the coast, you know, right? California, Oregon. Washington, BC. Uh, we're also in Arizona. It's got a really good medical program out there. And Val Venus, the professional wrestler, owns a vaporizer bar. Wouldn't want to talk politics with them, but I, I, you know, talk wrestling, I guess, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> we could get onto the, as a separate topic for a separate show. Um, but anyway, so find out about those fucked up shows if you are on the West Coast. Over there, if you want to see some of the stuff that I do other than this podcast and other than Fucked Up, you can check out stuff I do for Vice um, on YouTube, Google, uh, or YouTube, yeah, probably YouTube, uh, you know, Tournament of Death, Bloodlust, or Canadian Cannabis, or any of that stuff. And uh, if that's about it, yep, that's it for the plug section of the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, I finally... Finally, I fucking finally get to sit down and talk to Wes from Cold Cave and American Nightmare and everything. Um, I've been wanting to have Wes on the show forever. We talk about this in the show a little bit. There's been some things that have come up in our lives that have made this not possible until now. And so we finally got a chance to sit down. Uh, we sat down in a diner. I think, I think it's actually called the diner or the counter. The diner, the diner counter. Anyway, uh, we were, it was in the hotel they were staying at, in the, the lobby of the hotel they were staying at. Um, it's a little noisy, just so you're forewarned, but I think it adds to like a verite feel. It's like you're sitting there with us, drinking wine and soda water, respectively, and just, you know, chilling and listening to this great conversation, because this is an amazing conversation. This is someone that I've always wanted to meet, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of I get a chance to confess that, like, you know, at one point I was definitely kind of a, a hater. And uh, I talk about this a little bit, like not an activator, like I'm not going online and, and talking shit on message boards or anything, but just like, you know, someone that, that, you know, was judging a band, but also I realize now, and we, we talk about this in the episode that I was really uh, projecting a lot onto Wes and, and the band and stuff like that. So it, it, this is an episode that's uh, emotional. It's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. It's a great one. It's a short one, but it's a good one. Uh, Wes is one of the most interesting people in music to me. This is someone who has the ability to change the zeitgeist 
in punk and hardcore with different things that he does. And I say that from someone who's witnessed many people around me go through changes based on the changes that Wes went through and and sort of the interest that Wes had at different times. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's an amazing guest. This is a good episode. Um, so I'm not going to blather on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Wes Eisold on Turn Out a Punk. Wes, this has been a long time I've wanted to do this, and I want you to know that I do a second podcast called Footnotes where we talk about this podcast after I do it. Okay. And my co-host for that, Chris O'Toole, has been emphatic that I had to make this one happen this time. Because I told him that we've been trying to make this happen, right? We keep having children or one or the other thing happens. So now we finally made it happen. But yeah, I think I usually see you on a street or in an airport. Yep. Or in a, an alley or, you know, like always backstage loading in, loading out, or a festival or something. But yeah. now, here we are. Yeah. In a, in a diner. Yeah. In South Toronto. Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Thanks yeah. for finally, you know, well, thanks for finally, thanks for doing this and thanks for uh, sitting down with me. I want to start this off the way I start them all off though, which is, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you came across the genre? I think when I was growing up, early 80s I was instantly infatuated with music the first video I remember first video and song I remember seeing was like a Cure song no just like heaven yeah I've been like watching MTV kind of religiously since I learned how to turn the TV on this is like 85 86 ish 87 and like just watching everything, I knew like every horrible video, every horrible song, but I didn't like any of it. I yeah. would watch it, but it didn't connect with me. And then that video finally came out. I was like, I love this. They were still playing cool stuff at MTV at that point, though, right? Were like Devo on or any of that kind of stuff? Or a little Devo bit was or, on, yeah. Talking Heads were on yeah. a lot. You yeah. know, it was like fringe, yeah. cool, good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but then a year or two later, they actually started playing good stuff. If you could catch. A Pixies video here and there, or something like that, and just led to one thing. One thing led to another, and I was skateboarding already. I lived in Virginia Beach, and there was Mount Trashmore there, which is a big skate park. Reading Thrasher, had older friends always through skateboarding. And in sixth grade, I got a Dead Kennedys tape via skateboarding. It's give me convenience, you give me death. Awesome. That was probably the first real like time. Where'd you, where'd you get that from though? Was it like a, a kid friend? at school? Okay. Like an older kid? Yeah, like I knew I knew I wanted to listen to punk. I knew I wanted to get into punk, but I hadn't had the <laughs> chance to absorb punk yet. It's like I'd seen, you know, ads in the back of magazines and it was, you had to get it, you know? It wasn't like you could just turn on your computer and find yeah, like, it. You yeah, had to like, get it. I would have been into it earlier. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. not possible with my means as a little kid. <laughs> yeah. So I'd had like neighbors who would like work on cars and play like Shout of the Devil and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted something harder. So I got a Dead Kennedys tape and it was kind of everything that I had imagined and more that punk would sound like. Yeah. Like how vicious and like how the recording was so strange and like, you know, it's like a compilation, so it doesn't really make sense. There's no flow, <laughs> but there's like tons of swear words and it's like cussing was so cool. So like, having my mind blown and there was like real ideas in the music like, and then like Jello tells like stories in the middle of songs I was like, yeah I totally relate to all this so like where was it the Dead Candies had you heard of the Dead Candies prior to this kid giving you the tape or was that just like the one tape he just happened to give you just the one tape like yeah. someone ordered it given it to him and I was like I'll check that out yeah you know flames on the cover I'm sold you know? <laughs> so kind of where'd you go from there so you've got this Dead Candies tape now you're skateboarding uh like were you were you buying tapes at this point yourself? Were you able to buy? Tapes? Yeah, I was. It was like I had I had tapes, but it was like what I could buy at the local like drugstore kind yeah. of. There's like you know Beastie Boys and like Poison and yeah. Motley Crue and whatever. If I, if I had like seven or eight dollars, I would spend it on it. I'd check out a tape. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like running a movie or something. Yeah. Um, but after that, I kind of never stopped and then a cousin came to visit me and 
I had never met him, knew nothing about him. So my, my, my dad's brother's son, and he showed up, and I was wearing a Cure shirt, and he was wearing a Sisters of Mercy shirt. And he was living in the Bay Area, and I was living in like Pennsylvania or something at the time. My dad was in the Navy, so I moved all the time. I was okay. always in this weird spot, so... <clears throat> um, didn't really have friends for more than a, a year or so at a time. Yeah. So because of that, I got really into music, listening to music nonstop. Um, he showed up and turned me on to a bunch of uh, other bands. Like, you know, he started sending me tapes. I kind of had always older people around, cousins and people who had cool tapes. Like, I remember cousins who had, like, Pixies tapes and, you know, like, Pogues tapes and stuff like that. And kind of just kept piecing, kind of, like, following these bands and liner notes until I found stuff that really spoke to me. <laughs> then a couple years later, I started going to shows. What was the first band that really spoke to you other than, I guess, The Cure at this the point? The Cure, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the Cure, I did like I did like Dead Kennedys a lot. I did like Black Flag a lot. Um, Minor Threat. Yeah. Really spoke to me because that's actually how I felt more than like Black Flag or something like that. I couldn't really relate to it as much. Um, but I started going to shows in like seventh, eighth grade. So where were you living at that point? Too? Still in Pennsylvania. Okay. First show I ever saw was the Dead Milkman. Oh. <laughs> with like the weirdest bill. It was like at um, this college in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And it was the Dead Milkman with the Swirlies and the Lilies opening. Oh, wow. And it was like this weird like juxtaposition of like just kind of like lazy college students who just kind of liked everything. <laughs> Clearly, they booked the show, I guess. Yeah. And then like bands that maybe didn't like other bands they were playing with. Yeah. Which is like, like a college show, right? Like you, yeah. only, I guess, you know, you probably played them too, right? Yeah, They're right. They don't make any random sense. shows, yeah. I remember walking in, there was a band covering Dinosaur Jr.'s cover of Just Like Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I can dig this. This is cool. And people, there was like four or five people like kind of moshing around. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I remember um, my friend whose father taught at the university was like, oh, see that guy over there? And I was like, where, where, where? And there was one guy with the mohawk, and he's like, that's Grindel. Stay away from him. Like, he's the bad guy. And I was like, wow, there's a guy named Grindel, and he's the bad guy? What's happening? You know, he had like plaid pants on, suspenders, and a belt, probably. Did <laughs> but, you ever meet Grindel? Was he a bad guy? No, but he did stage. I saw him, like, you know, kind of like wrecking people during okay. the Dead Milkman. During the Dead Milkman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is like a fucking serious crowd we're dealing with, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They so play smoking on banana peels. I'm yeah. gonna murder somebody. Smoking banana peels. Yeah, and I remember like that year. Um, actually, uh, my parents were away, and my friends and I had skipped school, and we knew about that song, and so we tried to smoke banana peels, <laughs> and like um, obviously like nothing. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. Like we we didn't open any new doors <laughs> that day, but. Parents came home and like, like, what were you guys doing here? Like, were you guys like smoking weed? What? It's like, I was too embarrassed to say that I had tried smoking banana pills, so I took the punishment for smoking weed at that age. And it wasn't until years later that I told them like, that's not actually what happened. Like, it's just too humiliating. To, I spoke to a, like a, I don't know, a quarter ounce of catnip one time trying to get high. Right. Did not work either. Right. Did you get burned buying it? Just went with it, or no, no? We we, we right. thought like you get. We're like the cats get high off it. Surely right. a human would get high if they smoked enough of it. So to this day, though, I could not eat chicken fingers because I ate chicken fingers afterwards and puked on them. And I oh my god! Don't think I could eat them. Wow. Ever again? So. Wow. Dark. <laughs> it was pretty right. dark. Cats, chickens, vomit. <laughs> so where did you go, kind of like after smoking the banana peels at this show? I went to Germany. I moved to Germany oh, for wow. a couple years, and then um, still skated. Started like ordering tapes and records from like sessions, and like by this point, I was into like Discord stuff. And did you meet any kids when you were in Germany that were? In yeah, there, like, yeah, or? I did. But there was always like they were pretty small. I lived on a military base, so yeah. there'd be like. A cup, like you'd be like, okay, this dude has like a biohazard sticker. Like, <laughs> we're friends. Like, this guy's got a skateboard, but doesn't like music. Like, but we're, yeah, we're he's, friends. He's in the crew. Yeah, he's yeah, totally. Like, there's the guy at the REM shirt. All right, <laughs> what's we'll hang, you know? Because it was like that was, you know, that you gotta was do it. it. Yeah, yeah. It was small town shit. Like there was, 
gotta be friends with the guy in the Ari Amata Manic shirt. Yeah. But I guess that's like, you know, you're all alternative, like the biohazard person, the REM person, and the skateboarder person. Yeah, oh. alternatively, I was the only one that yeah. could even be like, yeah, it's kind of cool. You yeah. Know? yeah. I, Close enough? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right, and so you get each other into different music, and you find common ground, and yeah. it was really cool, you know? Yeah. I miss that aspect of getting into music, where you, like, would spend a lot of time listening to a record that you maybe would never give a second thought to mm -hmm. now, like... Mm -hmm. Like we always joke, Max and I always joke about knowing like track nine from like the Lemonheads Lovey CD. Like no one knows that. Like you shouldn't. You know, it's not like a great listen. But if you could only buy a CD or borrow one CD at a time or yeah. one record, yep, you'd, you'd uh, take it in for you what have it was. To. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't really like this, but I'm gonna keep listening to it until I do. Yeah. You know, I'll find some something that I connect with. Yeah. And I guess you it's know. like probably why people maybe had deeper cut tastes than they do now because you would be willing to invest that time in that record whereas now if you don't like something you can find something you like yeah totally within a click of a button exactly because where I was living I could go I could leave the base go downtown and buy CDs and I did and I got into like German record stores then were amazing I got yeah. into like Swans and all that stuff really early on because it was like sold to you yeah. it was targeted to you yeah. and like Swans were played on TV once. That, that was a record that I bought for you know twenty some odd dollars because that's what CDs cost, and right. I didn't get it or right. like it at first. But I listened to it till I liked it because yeah. I spent twenty some odd dollars. Exactly. On it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Sorry, but go on about this. Yeah, one, but, yeah. no, that's exactly yeah. right. But like on a less like critical level, I remember just being so. You know, one of the other bands I was super infatuated with was Misfits. Was Misfits. Yeah. But um, how did they? How, do you remember how you first heard them? Just had seen the logo as, a, as I was a kid and heard about them as a kid. Like, I didn't know, like, Danzig was in the Misfits or anything. I just, like, thought it was cool. And then when I heard it, I couldn't believe that it was, like, so melodic and catchy. And it's not what I expected. And, you know, the lyrics were never in the records. But it was, like, kind of like first era of the internet. Yeah. My friend printed out the lyrics for me and put it in a binder and gave it to me. And then my parents found this binder and, like, I got... <laughs> took the records away again I'm like, yeah, like what's wrong with you <laughs> it's funny now because like you know we, those Misfits reunion shows happened this summer and I was just thinking like I don't know if I'd be able to sing along because those are some pretty fucking harsh lyrics when you actually yeah. think about what he's saying yeah it's, it's awesome it's insane it's really it's, cool yeah. <laughs> it's like everything about that band like it's so unexpected when you hear them like oh the band that Metallica likes Sounds like Elvis if Elvis was in a punk band somehow. But that's what I was getting to. Like yeah. living on military bases, like could go to I could go downtown to like buy records if I wanted to. But really, I was kind of confined to this like commissary that like, had some CDs. And like I remember being so desperate for new music that they're like, "Well, I know I don't like Metallica, but maybe, maybe I'll buy like one of their first records because like you know they kind of like came from." punk yeah. like, you know it's close enough maybe I'll buy I can't do it but like <laughs> it was so desperate that I remember contemplating buying like those records and, um, have you come back around on Metallica have you changed your mind about them or are you I don't hate Metallica no 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 but, but like I don't it's yeah, like I don't care music, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same like, yeah like it's fine yeah it's like kind of strange when you listen to it now and how like weak sounding those early records are and they used to seem so intimidating and heavy and yeah. like now it just sounds kind of like classic rock. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's like, it, it's it's funny to think that it like, at a certain point, Slayer will sound tame to people. Right? But they haven't, they haven't tamed in the same way. No. It's, no. It's, it's, I think like when you're coming from like more of a satanic approach is always going to have heaviness to it's it. True. You know, like, That's true. So, I like that about Slayer. Yeah. The same way, like, maybe Merciful Fate's not that heavy, but it's in content, it is, yeah. in theory it is, so it's, it's pretty cool. So. Yeah. And I think we'll have some timelessness to it. Yeah, that's true. Like, there's no, there's no way that, you know, Slayer aesthetically is ever going to be as in vogue as Metallica aesthetically no. can be in vogue because it is so yeah, it's, bleak. Yeah. It started so heavy. Yeah. 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 And like, you know, some some heavy lyrics as well. Yeah. Some really heavy lyrics. Poetry. <laughs> so I guess like from refusing Metallica CDs living in Germany, where'd you kind of go from the, you're ordering CDs from Sessions? 
The shipping must have been insane to Germany for that. Well, you could have, no, because I was on a military base, so there's APO. Oh. oh. If you ever seen APO, it's like, that's what that means. Oh, okay. It's shipped to, like, you pay normal shipping for a U.S. shipping address, and, like, it's shipped to you from... Oh, okay. Yeah, so I get skateboards and records that way. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So you could be kept at kind of, like, abreast. Yeah. So it's almost like you're experiencing this culture from a distance, though, because of the way you had to live. Yeah, which maybe would be the case at that time, like, maybe even living here, like, yeah. you only kind of knew, but, anyway, from that first show I went to, which is this band, this world is open for Dead yeah. Milkman, I, like, loved, I thought that band was awesome, yeah. I loved it, and I'd seen their ads in Alternative Press before, and, like, and in the back of Spin, and there used to be this thing where you could, like, call a number, it was, like, a 1-800 number, and you could hear part of a record for, like, a <laughs> second, and I think Ting did that with the Swirlies EP. Yeah. So I bought that, and, like, ended up buying always like Tang records and I got super obsessed with Tang. I thought SSD was great and Slapshot and like That's I awesome. became kind of obsessed with like Boston bands. Yeah. And, like even like well, Lemonheads, like you Lemonheads said. and yeah. even like moving targets and like liars and stuff like that. And it was all seemed connected at the time mm-hmm. in a way. Like Bolt LaVolta. Mm-hmm. And um just kind of went from there and after my dad was stationed in Germany, I was stationed in New England. And I was like, oh god, I gotta move from the city in Germany, it's like fucking Maine. But whatever, it's an hour and a half from Boston, so maybe it'll be okay. So I moved close enough to Boston where I could start going to shows there. And Did Maine have a scene though? Like, were there bands and stuff happening at that point in Maine? When I moved there, there, wa- there was a couple like local bands. Yeah, okay. Like, um, my friend Ian, who lives in my town, hang out with me after high school, like 10th, 11th grade. Yeah. He ended up playing bass in Blood for Blood. Okay. Moved to Boston. And there was a couple local bands, but yeah. they weren't really like hardcore bands, but they were like close enough. You so know. how did you know that that was the sound that you were kind of like gravitating towards? Like, I guess from hearing Minor Threat and SSD and kind of like that stuff, was that like, had you, had you seen any of these like, any sort of more hardcore bands live? No, that? no. Oh, awesome. No, like I went, I'd seen like, I loved, I would watch 100, I would tape 120 minutes yeah. every Sunday in like ninth and 10th grade. So I was like listening to bands like that and those were the records I could find the store near me. <laughs> um, but as much as I love that sort of like 90s, disinterested, hazy, like joyful youthfulness, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't growing with how I was feeling more of an outsider <laughs> with where I was and who I was. And so hardcore, just like, I kind of like, once I got out of step, I was like, this is like something I like. It's not yeah. like the sound I prefer over everything, but like, this is a passion in this that I really relate to. Mm-hmm. And there was like, I was really skeptical of hardcore too, because a lot of bands I would hear about, like I remember going, okay, today I'm, from this weekend, I'm saving money, I'm gonna go buy a Youth of Today record and not being able to purchase it based on like what they looked like. Like, and like no disrespect, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah. those were like, they looked like people that I didn't get along with. Yeah. Regardless of anything else. Like, I, I can't do it. Yeah. Like, I fucking hate sports. Like, yeah. I hate like, these guys look like they wrestle. Like, <laughs> this is like what I'm trying to get away from. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really protective of what I'm listening to right now. Yeah. No, I totally, I feel exactly you know? it was like a jock thing. Like, it yeah. looked like, they looked like jocks. Yeah, and I didn't get it. Yeah. Like, I was, I lived in, like, a police state, basically, mm-hmm. so I was like, I did not want this at all. I'm like, mm-hmm. with a, a shaved head and, like, a boot and, like, a chain, I could, like, that was more appealing yeah. to me. Yeah. But I didn't like the stupidity of, like, what I was being told was punk rock at that time, either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So when did you, what was, like, the first like hardcore band you would have seen live or like knowing that there was sort of a contemporary scene that was continuing on from like Minor Threat and SSB and these other bands well I would say like the first real hardcore show I probably saw like not non-local band would probably be Sheer Terror whoa yeah and I remember that show was in this club called Zoots in Portland, Maine I remember getting spit on by Paul Bear and I remember a guy getting stabbed in the neck and left for dead in the parking lot across the street from the show as my friend was giving me a ride home. Holy shit. And like, but I remember the show being so good and like that being just like a side aspect of it yeah. and just being like, okay, let's keep, I guess let's get out of here. Like, you know, but yeah. that was sort of like my first introduction and I, 
Was that connected to the show? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I was, yeah. Like, I was yeah. not just skinheads after the, the show. Yeah. Like, wow. yeah. Because that band was sort of like, you know, like, I think like a lot of like the sort of like older New York bands used to do where people would just come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So you're in Maine. So these are like people from like yeah. six hours away coming down. Like, yeah. You know, working like in probably the most insane jobs all week and just coming and like, you know. Well, because it had kind of a metal quality to it, and like, yeah. uh, you know, like it, it was just something to do, I guess, too, for some of these bands. Yeah. So, you know, and especially at that point, too. Yeah. Like, Sheer Terror, I don't think they came up to Toronto till. Actually, they might have come up back then, but I think it would have been a very different vibe. Right. In Toronto at that point. Right. You know, right. A bunch of fucking goofs did a pretty good job of clearing all the skinheads out. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, this was pretty hick. Like, there's a lot of guys yeah. from Boston who would come up, but like, yeah. it wasn't just like a well, normal yeah. hardcore show. Yeah, it's ma- I guess like there's, as you're saying, there's not even that many hardcore kids around you. In yeah, yeah, home, right? so. yeah. It's just like pockets of two people, you know, convening. So, what do, were there like local bands that you had seen prior to that? Like, did you see like, like I think it's in the Bo- STP or any of those Boston? No, I missed most of that. It was, yeah. That kind of like died in like the mid '90s, which yeah. is when I arrived. So it was like. There was Sam Blackchurch yep. who people liked, and like they were great live, but like it didn't sound like what I wanted to listen to really. Mm-hmm. But you'd go see them. A lot of the Boston bands were kind of like rock bands, sort of, you know. Um, was Wrecking Crew still going or no? No, it Slapshot stopped around then. Slapshot wasn't playing. No, nope. they were just doing Europe by that point. I guess, right? Yep. So like that was like that period where like. You know, like Earth Crisis and yeah. Snappiest and Strife came up, and then like shortly after that, you had like Tinnered Fight, which led to In My Eyes, and then like that was yeah. kind of like speaking more to me, closer to like Minor Threat and like Real Biscuits and stuff I had heard that I liked before. You know? So what were like, yeah, what, like prior to, because yeah, Tenure Fight was uh, like a, a big one for me when, that, when I got yeah. that record up here, because you're right, like it was that was the start of the youth crew revival, yeah. like in a, a big way. But like, were there what bands were you into locally prior to that? Like, were there any bands that like what, what sound were you kind of going with? Because like, were you seeing Rain on the Parade where they came through a battery? No, or that was like right. Oh, battery, no. Rain on the Parade, I saw them once or twice. Yeah, and that was like more like '97. Yeah, okay, the time is. Yeah, so um, pretty good. Oh yeah, for your. I think Tanner Fight almost like it almost like kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it seemed to. Yeah. So. They opened, I saw, like, in, like, 94, 95, I think 95, maybe, like, right play the Middle East in Boston, okay. and Tinner Fight opened. It was, like, fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, I hadn't seen stage diving like that besides videos, and, like, it was, like, people, like, my age going crazy. And, yeah. Like, it had everything I liked at that time. Yeah. You know? Well, because, yeah, you think prior to that, there's, like, Rain in the Parade, I guess, is going around then. Tenfold would have been going prior to that in Connecticut. Yeah, but that's yeah. a but nothing. Like I didn't that. connect yeah. with that. Like, like, I don't know that. Like I, yeah. I didn't like could make. I didn't have like this like emotional connection with Tinder Fight's music, but like, <laughs> well, you roadied for him, right? Because the first yeah. time I met you was in Toronto when you roadied for him. First time I ever went on tour was with him. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have an emo like you know they weren't fulfilling like the pain I was feeling inside, yeah. but like it was fun. Yeah, it was a straight edge band. Yeah. And it wasn't like overly tough, mm-hmm. but it wasn't weak either. And it was from Boston. And I loved Boston Harper. So yeah. it kind of fulfilled this void. Yeah. You know? And you were a hard mosher. Yeah. Broke Pat Lazo's ribs in Toronto that uh, who's Emma show. Yeah, it could have happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess like so when that tenured fight thing happened in Boston, what was that? The, like, was it like a sea change? Because like, as you said, there was nothing much happening prior to that locally. In the I same think way. it was because you know it wasn't just like they came out and it was. Um, in terms of there's a bunch of bands that kind of sort of seemed to blossom then. You know, Converge had been around, but like that was sort of when they kind of came into their own. Blood for Blood had started, tenured fight, then in my eyes shortly after that, then Fast Break kind of moved to Boston, and then. 454 Big Block, yes. it was Get High, you know, there was like Cave-In, there was Pieball, there was always bands that sort of sounded different, but they would often play a lot of similar shows, same yeah. shows. Yeah, and then Dropkick Murphy's, which is kind of tangentially connected, I guess, yeah. through shared membership. Kind of yeah, I would see the Bruisers play a lot. Yeah. Living in Maine. Really? Yeah. That would have been awesome. Yeah. I love 
I love the bruises. The yeah, bruises were great. Oh, like, but what would those shows would have been like in Maine? Would they well, I would sell them mostly in New Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire, Fort yeah. Smith. Yeah. That makes sense. Portsmouth, um, Manchester. Um, those must have been hard shows, though. Like, they were, and they were like in, uh, but they were really cool. Like, people were really cool at those shows. Yeah. And they were always in the tiniest, tiniest clubs. But, like, My friend? So cool. Like, because you'd always, it's kind of like if you lived, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I don't remember many problems at like yeah. shows like that. Yeah, you know. It was well, who would like, want to start a problem at a yeah, show like that? Yeah. <laughs> but did they? Were they bring, like? Were, did they have that connection to the New York bands at that point? Like, were they bringing up like Madball and those bands, or was it before they had that kind of for that for that relationship? I don't like. I, like, who I are they playing with? I guess local bands. Local bands. Okay. Yeah, local bands. Okay. Yeah, and then like I remember like when Dropkick Murphy started. Mm-hmm. And thinking like liking the first two seven inches and like up to like the, kind of the first LP, but like I was sort of more like into hardcore at that point. Yeah. But being like this is good, but it wasn't really my thing. Whereas Bruisers were like a little bit before that. Yeah. For me, and I like that more. Well, then, and was when did Trouble start? Were they around the Trouble started? Well, when Trouble was kind of playing a lot. I think it was like 99. Okay, so later. 98, 99. Okay, a little bit later than that. We're talking Maybe about. 97, but yeah, like around then. Around that time. Yeah, right. like they broke up right right around when A.N. started, I yeah. think. So, I would bring, their last show was like incredible. Yeah, I could only imagine. Yeah. I think Oxblood played or something like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, because I guess like that, that moment in Boston, which is before American Nightmare kind of just before American Nightmare really starts, it, it just seems like it became like the center of the music universe. You know, you had like the biggest boy band there, mm-hmm. the biggest, I don't know, whatever Blood for Blood would genre that would be, yeah. Converge as the metallic hardcore band, and then you had like, you know, the Ten Yard Fight in My Eyes kind of axis of those bands. It felt like that became the center of the music universe for them. Yeah. Were you, did you want to do bands prior to that? Like, were you interested in starting a band? I did. You know, in when I lived in Germany, my friends and I had like we tried make a band. It's called Hyper Moments. Oh, <laughs> and we had a tape with like us kind of like covering like Sex Pistols and Misfits songs. We played like one show. You guys have a tape? Yeah, I have it somewhere. Oh, you gotta find it's covers. That. Yeah, I think it's at my parents' oh, house. Somewhere. That's awesome. Um, so, so, do you guys play shows at all? We played one one show. It was like, like three or four covers. I like, got in high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun though. It's just like whoever, you know. Yeah. The coalition of the willing. Yeah. You have to kind of put exactly. together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like, were you when you got to Boston, you kind of have this energy around? Did you want? Did you get any trying to get any bands fired? I didn't. No. Yeah. I was just too psyched on going to shows and seeing bands. I was having good enough time and then yeah. that was enough for me I kind of knew like at some point I would do it Yeah, I didn't know when exactly or with who but I knew like it was I would do it at some point I was like kind of like ex- I'd finished high school at that point I was kind of like just living life on my own at that point like trying to work through some feelings and didn't know what I was doing or what I was gonna do. I never really worried too much about it, but I wasn't a happy person. I was still living in Portland, Maine. I had an apartment on this, on the water. It was called the Eastern Promenade. And I would just kind of stay at home, walk around town, try to go, try to, go to college a little bit and drive to Boston for shows. That was kind of my routine. Um, while living there, I went on tour with Tanner Fight. Where did that tour go? Was that? All around the all around the U.S. and Toronto yeah. and a couple of like kind of like random places in Canada too. Like, you guys dip back and forth type thing, or like do I remember like I remember well, maybe in London, maybe like, Toronto yeah. and London because I guess there was like a scene at that point of youth crew kind of stuff happening there too. Like I remember crossing the border of Niagara and getting denied, yeah, and going back and waiting for like the shifts to change. Yeah. And in the meantime. Uh, me and I can't remember who else was roading, but we had to put on as many t-shirts <laughs> yep. as sweatshirts, like that was the move. And we'd walk across the border and just be like, I'm going to the casino, like, okay, 18-year-old so, kid with eight sweatshirts on, okay. It's so crazy that like you and Exol did that show, and he's wow, still yeah. doing yeah, you know, wow. shows for yeah, these Yeah, it's so cool. It's like, 
But I remember like touring them, like wherever, not Toronto. I don't think we went to Montreal, but there was some other town. It was not like a major city, but the directions that we had were like, take a left on Main Street. The next intersection, you'll see someone skateboarding. Turn right there. I was like, what? And they're like, sure enough. It was like, the kids yeah, and like, worked. Yeah. Pre internet punk directions. Yeah. Left yeah. <laughs> yeah. the skate phone calls to moms. Yeah. And, yeah. So when you um, kind of get back from this 10 yard fight tour, do you want to move to Boston immediately or are you still, still kind of living in Portland, Maine for a moment? Or I lived there for, at the most, another year, six months maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, probably a year, and in that year, tenure fight stopped basically, and then AN started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, like, it happened, like, you know, from an outsider's perspective once again. But like, American Nightmare seemed to go from like a band with a demo to being like the biggest unsigned band in hardcore type thing. Like, in like, and this is once again pre-internet, and, uh, right? Compared to today, but like there was like hype. Like, I, I knew, like, you had to order the demo. Like, it was impossible. Like, on the mullet board, there was, like, orders for the demo type things went up. Weird, yeah. It's like, everyone already knew about it. How quickly did it all kind of happen with American Ember from, like, when the idea kind of came together to put this band together to playing your first show? To I guess pretty fast. I mean, I think, like, if you're... I mean, there couldn't have been that many people reading, like, that message for us. I don't know. Look, I don't know. You think about hardcore back then? It must have been big. But, like, what's... I mean, how many? I would say thousands. I don't know. Like, yeah. like, like, like the In My Eyes demo apparently sold two thousand copies of the demo yeah, okay. tape. So it's like right. there must have been a, a right. lot. Like Jamie Heapy was posting on there. So there, imagine there just being people just reading what I you're posting. I guess so. It just seemed like such a small like I know. thing in Boston. Like, like everyone would hang out, and then like it was just inside jokes kind yeah. of, and then like. But eventually, I think it became because it became cut off. You had to do that crazy questionnaire, which was questionnaire, right, right, right. You know, and then if you if you like got deemed, if mullet was like, all right, this guy's allowed in, right, you would be like given your password and stuff. But like, so I think it became almost like people use Twitter, okay, now where you're just like following other people, like you're like, oh, I love these two celebrities. Let's watch them talk. Yeah, you know, obviously in a hardcore sense, but like you just watch. You know, like these people interact with I each other. I guess so, yeah. I think I posted like three times once I got my password. It was mainly just reading other people. Right, yeah. Like, okay. Communicating. That's cool. And learning. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess like AM was one of the first bands that came of that. Yeah. So, it was, you know, our circle of friends, like the tenure fight in my eyes had kind of ceased and there was like all these new people into it, but there were no bands to fulfill this interest. Mm-hmm. And then AM started, well, Ripe Brigade started, then AM yeah. started, then like show after that no warning started and I guess right brigade right, right I said that's so weird <laughs> right brigade I guess right brigade was like kind of like the first kind of precursor definitely that had a little bit of that like that blue tape yeah to get that blue tape was impossible to yeah, try to get it hoodie like 20 of <laughs> yeah like that band seemed like I think to me that band is very underrated I don't I don't mean that I think everyone should be listening to them or checking them out because I don't know how it would translate to a new listener now but that thing was really important to me because they were coming from the sort of sort of positive like youth hardcore band but they were like the lyrics weren't that yeah. but it was people of that doing something different and like Jesse was like a close friend of mine like like you know it was like Pat from Fast Break and Jesse and I were hanging out every day in Boston and I remember like just like loving that demo so much yeah. and then the 7-inch so that was great it was like exactly what I wanted to hear after Tenure Fight in my eyes I think they did the right they made the right music after those bands because that like a lot of people couldn't like those bands because it just like didn't speak to them. It was like too positive, too young, or too corny. Something. Yeah. Well, I think definitely with Tenure Fight, it was kind sure. of there was a silliness that they tried to get away from on an LP, but it's not there in Riper Game. It's serious the whole way. Through. Right. I like that more. Yeah. I got that. It made sense to me. It's funny you say that because that that I've always thought that was a hugely underrated record because that. In, th- in this part of the world, Toronto specifically, because that's where No Warning, of course, that was like completely where As Once Were, kind of was like, oh, yeah, right, right, be, right. This is the way we're gonna kind of go, and you know, and it's almost like American Nightmare came along and fulfilled the unfulfilled promise that Right Brigade had, because then the the, the Red LP was a disaster. Yeah, they'd fallen apart before that was made. Yeah, and I, I remember like I lived with Chris Ryan at the time. And after we like, I think we had just finished the demo, and he was like, "You guys should put it out. I'll help you like put it out." Like, 
if you want to do a seven inch, look at that. And like, whoa, like seven inch, whoa, crazy, like, like a real CD. He's like, God, like I just like you know, it'd be so cool to be in a band like the size of Ride Brigade one day. He's like, he's like, yeah, I think you might do that like pretty soon. He's like, what? No way, Ride Brigade's like it, like that's it. No one's bigger than Ride Brigade. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I didn't think they were the biggest band. No, no, like, but they, I, I know, thought they yeah. were like they were just perfect. Yeah, you know, like no like, hardcore band could be like that and be big. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it was funny too because like well, Chris Ren, Bridge Nine, like obviously there's the Trust, there's the Sum of All Fears, Tenfold Split. There's a couple other records, but it's really that American Nightmare record where Bridge Nine becomes a thing. Yeah, because those records were like those were like local records. Yeah, like they're not that great. They're cool. Trust this, on Gold is, was a very sought-after record in Toronto. But, right, yeah. <laughs> but no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, no, there was... It doesn't hold up in the same way. way. Yeah, whatever. Like, I'm not... No, I know. It's down, but, like, yeah. they were, like, local bands. And Chris put out his friends, like, yeah. bands. And, like... I think A.N. never had the intention of being a local band. Yeah. You know? I don't know what our intentions were, but I think, like... You know, I wasn't from... Sorry, just throwing you. I wasn't from no, Boston. Sure. Like, I wasn't, like... I didn't live and breathe that neighborhood, like, you know, I wanted to go elsewhere, I'd been elsewhere, and I had, tra I just wanted to travel, like, I thought touring seemed like the most insane thing, like, that's what I want to do, you know. So, like, you guys kind of form, the demo comes out, was, like, were people, like, singing along to the shows, kind of, be as soon as the demo's out, type thing? I remember yeah. seeing videos, demo era videos, and, like, everyone's moshing, and it's, people are yeah. singing along, like... First show, like, people knew the words. It's like, friends of friends. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. been to practices or heard it, you know, so... First show, I booked in, in Maine, and I went to the church hall, and booked In My Eyes, Rubber Gate, and American Nightmare. Okay. And it was, like... I think I was lost like 400 bucks. <laughs> really? I was thinking that joke must have been amazing. It was amazing. Like, but, but yeah. But, but yeah, like, still like you're friends you. with everyone. Like, yeah. You know, it was just like, everyone gets into free. Yeah. I, was like, yeah. I still remember, like, we had, like, my friends, like, local band open, and they were kind of like, sort of like, Don Cab worship sort of like, Earth Realm sounding band. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. I remember like their friend showing up, and I still feel bad about it because he like their friend showed up with a camera, and he was like, "I mean, I got, I'm just here to take pictures." I was like, "That's cool, but you gotta pay." He's like, "I know, but I don't want to see a show." I was like, "You got, I'm sorry, it's eight bucks or whatever, you gotta pay." And he'd be like, "Really? I can't just take a picture?" He's like, eight dollars. I'd like kind of like strong arming him into paying the eight dollars to get take a picture. That's like, you know. Meanwhile, it's like. A car yeah, load. Come on, come on, your friends. Yeah, yeah. Like, come on, Just, man. Yeah, right. yeah, but that's that's why you do shows. You do shows so yeah. you can put your own band on and so right. you can let your friends in for yeah, free. Yeah, it's my party. Yeah, exactly. It's for us. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess that seven inch comes out. And you guys got to tour immediately. Like seven, the seven inch comes out and you tour on that seven inch. We right? did, but we played on the demo a lot. You know, we, okay. we came to Canada a lot on the demo actually. Like, I, you never heard Toronto though. Must have been just Montreal, right? Toronto, you came here on the seven inch when you did the tour press of the seven inch with damage. I remember making demos on the way to uh, what's the other like Quebec City, Ottawa, Ottawa. I remember making demos on the way to Ottawa like at least twice. I think we played there twice on a demo. It's crazy because yeah. I don't think no, I'm sure you, like I would have definitely seen you guys in Toronto, and I can't. It was pre seven inch. You know? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because yeah. you definitely played. I remember. And there's no way you play here with people without me knowing. Maybe probably not Toronto. No, this was like yeah. Ottawa wasn't that far. Ottawa was closer. Yeah, yeah like we Ottawa just like drove hours from here. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's pretty like an hour from Montreal. Yeah, we gotta go soon. No, it's okay. I was just okay. checking. Um, we're fine. As I told you, this moves at a snail's nerdy pace. No, we're good. Um, so we. I felt like it wasn't that fast. We did do a lot of work on the demo. We recorded the demo twice. It, like, the first one was like so bad, so we had to redo it. That first one never came out. No. Right? Yeah, okay. No. What was it? Different songs or just bad recording? Or? There was. It was a bad recording. There was one extra song that just like didn't work. It was like the guitar player like had like heard like Kid Dynamite for the first time. It was like we need one song like this, like some woes in it. And we like tried it. It was like. No, we can't. Like, it, it, the band could have been dead in the water right then. Like, yeah, that's like one of those things. Like, it's a different path. It could be a different American nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's funny because like you know, American Nightmare. 
comes out and it's like there's certain bands that happen in hardcore and it's zeitgeist changing like the band comes out and then everyone's like oh we're gonna be this type of band right. and goes that way and like obviously American Nightmare did that and I think Kid Dynamite Lifetime was the band maybe prior to American Nightmare sure. that did it where everyone's like no we're gonna be a pop punk band right, now we're yeah. gonna have a poppy song we're gonna be like this and then American Nightmare came out and everyone's like okay we're gonna be this dark Band. That's what right. I do. So, I was really influenced by like, Lifetime. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, like, I'm not disrespecting. No, no, I didn't take it as best bands. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of that in American Nightmare. Like, oh yeah, lyrically and like, to me, it was sort of an extension of that because I, you know, I, I, I felt those records a lot. Those last two albums, you know. Oh yeah. I love what, them. Not background though. <laughs> I own background. I own background too. But I didn't feel it. A lot. No, I don't think it, it's it's um, it's funny to think that like how many bands would have gotten amazing on their third LP that didn't get there. You know? Because, like, they got pretty awesome. Well, I guess that was their second LP. But, like... Right. But, like, the the leap from background to Hello Bastards feels... Yeah, right. Huge. Oh, yeah. When you listen to them. But, you know... It's someone like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. This is not what I thought. This is not what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you guys heard this whole Epitaph Fat Records thing? What if we took the two and just... Right. Went, yeah. Put them together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so you guys, you guys got, I guess the seven inch, you go back after this demo, and there was like, you know, what scene were you guys finding yourselves in at that point with the demo? Well, it was, I don't know, because some of the older, like, people we were kind of associated with didn't like us because we weren't like a straight edge band. Yeah. Like, wasn't even straight edge, like, sort of like the demo came out. So it was like, Really, you weren't straight edge by the time the demo came out? Around or then, then right I stopped being straight edge. Yeah. That was also, like, the biggest story when you weren't straight edge anymore. And, like, what, why isn't West straight edge and what is West doing now? That was, like, a fascination for hardcore for, like, Well, as you may have guessed, I was a very depressed person. Yeah. <laughs> Someone could have put that together maybe then. I think, that, I think probably people did, but it was also, like, people, like... But I didn't think it was a straight edge band, so I didn't no. do like you know it wasn't like I didn't want to do a straight edge band. Yeah, I thought there was great straight edge bands, and I didn't need to be one. Yeah, it's not I didn't know how to talk about that yeah. either. Yeah. yeah, that was just kind of a given. Yeah, like, I, I'm into this music. I'm living like this. But um, and how could you do it in in Boston after In My Eyes had kind of like they were like the ultimate Boston straight edge band. Yeah, totally. For 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 me, for sure. Yeah. And so like after that, it didn't seem like. And I think there had to be a few years between them and like whatever the next realm of straight edge bands were, yeah. you know. Yep. So, yeah, you guys kind of, you know, it comes out. So, like, were you playing? I guess Damage. Obviously, we went up there. We, we did our first tours like Damage, Clear Idols. Clear Idols. Yeah. Um, where is this? I don't know. We like kind of like there was only so many bands like that you could tour with. Yeah. And then shortly after that, we kind of out. It didn't outgrow like that scene, but we had already toured these bands so many times, so we outgrew the bands we could keep touring with. So we started playing with other types of bands. Like, yeah. um, one of the first tours we did was with Converge. After that, we toured with like Last Job, Boys Like Well, yeah. And there was just like we kept being off these tour offers, and we were like, I remember feeling torn about it, and then like. God, like I just like don't really dig what these bands are doing, but we always ended up getting along with the people and like. There's no one for you guys to fit there's in. There's no one. We didn't fit in with anyone. Yeah, you know, like it's it's, it's funny. There was nothing happening. No, it's true. You know, it was before like there was a resurgence of every like micro genre where like people could be like write this, 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 this. Yeah, like, you know. Well, like it's almost like you guys kind of laid the groundwork for like the the type of world that my band and Ceremony and like all these other bands kind of exist in now where it's like you can be a punk influenced hardcore band but not have to keep being that exact band yeah, the sure. whole way through yeah. right. you know, but like you guys kind of were that band first right <laughs> and, and refused too I think like just prior to and I'm broken I think I'm also. broken yeah. yeah I'm broken you're right Like, I wonder if I'm broken got shit like they, they did. Did they? Yeah, for sure. I guess you talked to those guys. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder where they would have fit in, too. It's I like, know. oh, that must have been a hard, I guess, just with each other. I think they broke up. Yeah. You know, I think when the, when their interests, like, kind of changed a bit, mm -hmm. they made their two best records yep. and broke up. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah. But it's like, it's kind of like what the scene does, you know, mm -hmm. or did definitely was like, like we were talking about, like, 
you know, the fact that people were so enamored with the fact that you were weren't straight edge at a certain point. Like, yeah, like that's not news. No. Right. But they, but people just fiend on that stuff. And right. I guess it's maybe hopefully less like that now, but like, you know, and like just... Isn't it? I feel like, it's, I feel like no one cares what anyone does anymore. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, that way. Straight edge bands no. aren't straight edge. I don't care. You can, say, like, you can say the craziest shit you want. Now. Right. People don't seem to care. Yeah. 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 Like, they might even like it. Yeah, they might even like it now. Yeah. It's a... Uh, but like at that point it was like it was very different like you know people I guess maybe it's still this way but like if you change your sound if you if you altered your sound slightly people freak the fuck out yeah yeah I remember like American Nightmare getting criticism for our first album because people people were saying that we sound like Converge now yep and it's just like (laughs) no we don't like I remember the first seven inch and the second seven inch. People being like, oh, they changed their sound. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that second seven inch came out, and it's like, it, it's like, you know, but that's, and, you know, and I think even I was probably like that, you know? Certainly by the time the, the LP came out, I was like, oh, they're, they're, they sound different. Yeah. Now. <laughs> they're done. But like now as a band, like when right. I'm in a band, it's like, how can you not change? Yeah. Like, how it doesn't you... work like that. Like, no. Yeah. No, and it's like, you don't, you don't, it's not like you're consciously sitting there in the practice space being like, you know, maybe it was that Kid Dynamite influence song, that was the case. But for the most part, it's not like you're sitting there in the practice space being like, let's go this way now. Let's do yeah, this you, now. Yeah, you, you, you can't recreate it. No. It doesn't work right now. You could try, you wouldn't get there. No. Exactly. Dinosaur Jr. seems to be able to. I think he's just got it. Like, it's like, yeah. like that's his sound. Like, yeah. There are bands like that. Like, that's what I make, you know? Yeah. Comes out like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like they're just lost within themselves yeah. and can keep doing it. It's yeah. awesome. I don't know how, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Either. I even tried to like use the same equipment I made songs on before, and it's like I get nowhere. Yeah, and then like it's just, keep, it's just always different. I don't know why. Well, I guess because you're evolving as a person the whole time, right? Like you're changing. Yeah, and you not feel married to like one particular yeah. sound. You know. Yeah, and also I guess like your relationship to your own band and your own life too when we're talking about you know straight edge stuff and like it's completely different than how other people relate to your music and whether or not you're straight edge or, or vegan or whatever right. like identity politics like other people uh, it, it relate to that very differently and almost like you end up setting your watch by what other people do when you're a fan yeah it's like uh, yeah, reading a book or watching a movie like, it's just a moment and it's a glimpse you don't know what the person does after the movie's over you might not like it you know? so. so what was that kind of like though going from that point and realizing that you guys were kind of getting bigger to, like you're almost, like, not, I don't want to say outgrowing hardcore because that sounds ridiculous yeah. outgrowing punk scene but but like almost like the scene that was getting attracted towards your band or coming towards your band was almost bigger than just these little group of people like what was that kind of like you know like you know Davey Havoc moshing for you guys when you played the Gilman and things like that was that like weird at all to deal with or was that like just part of you know because like it wasn't something that normally happened to hardcore bands at that time I don't know how to answer it like I just think I didn't think I didn't feel that American Nightmare was like every other band yeah it just seemed kind of its own thing within the thing and attracted different people and I kind of when stuff like that would happen I'd be like yeah of course like that makes sense you know that these people would be attracted to this even though it doesn't sound like maybe music that, that you would assume they'd be into and mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it's the same it's like fucked up probably had so many people who weren't who didn't even know about hardcore listening to it yeah but I think for me it feels different because it was after you know like it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I kind of yeah. knew uh, about it yeah. because I vicariously experienced it through watching what happened with you guys as, like, a person, a fan of the band. Yeah, it's you interesting. Know? I would have, lo- I, I don't even, yeah, I can't relate till I haven't even seen, like, like, I felt like I was dumb the whole time going through. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I hadn't seen, like, anyone do anything before yeah. and hadn't yeah. been on the inside. Or, yeah, like, that's the thing, and it hadn't happened before. Right. From, the, from like... I think because, like, the scene that, you know, American Nightmare, the, the bands that you were into uh, prior to American Nightmare for me, that's the scene that I kind of, like, came out of, too. Um, you know, up north, obviously, with Swarm and all these other kind of bands, too. Yeah. But, but, like, so, you know, watching what happened to you guys was just so 
surreal because it like it, it hadn't happened like this one or it hadn't happened in my eyes or it hadn't happened to Unbroken it hadn't happened to any other band like where they were kind of like you know like there were rumors that you guys were going to get signed to a major label there were like all these sorts of like right. things around that you just hadn't uh, obviously Madball and all these sorts of bands had done their dallings bigger right. labels but like not necessarily from the scene that I felt I was from yeah it was like ours yeah I yeah. know yeah Yes. I don't know. I mean, I think it was just timing and the content of it. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, but like, did, it, did you like, I remember did, like we were getting almost signed to a major label and like it was before MCA had collapsed and we were being flown places. Really? Like, okay. Like, you know, I didn't like ever commit to anything that much besides this band. Yeah. So like, it was like, yeah, do you want to buy dinner? Like I live in a closet. We'll eat the dinner, you know? This is it. Like, I never took anything too seriously with that band besides the moments that I had when writing lyrics for a record. Otherwise, like, the shows were, like, cathartic and fun, and it was great to see people that I knew everywhere we went. And it was great to see people who related to it, but I also, like, didn't know how to acknowledge that or, really accept it or, like, feel, like, successful or, like, um... I didn't feel like it was a band that was doing well or like I was like doing something good I just felt like it was, this was just what I was doing and I didn't know how to I don't know I didn't know it was like a thing that like people looked up to or admired or like started bands based upon I, mean, I could see like I don't know I didn't think about it too much I kind of just like smoked pot and drank and like sat in the van and then we'd go play the show and like I'd have like one or two friends with me always on tour and we would hang out you know and like that was kind of just like what we did and we were like buying records and listening to music and we like going to clubs and you know we didn't feel cool at all like you know I felt like definitely and just like, like overweight disgusting and depressed you know and like I was making it worse by drinking a lot you know that's kind of it I couldn't People would try to talk to us about like relating to it, and it was like humbling. But there's definitely a disconnect where I couldn't get close to anyone. You know, um, I felt semi close in a way to like friends I made in Boston prior to AM, but then AM was gone all the time. And then I just kept moving every year or two between tours, just like I had grown growing up. I just you know, kept moving every year or two. Yeah. And, like that lasted until like four or five years ago when I got to Los Angeles. And, you know. Now you're settled down. Now you yeah. put down those roots. <laughs> yeah. Just drove 12 hours through freezing rain <laughs> to get here. So. But it's, it's, you know, like, and I guess you don't know it when you're in it, right? Like, you yeah. never experience it, you know, like, obviously, like anyone else is watching it from and the You outside. only hear the negative. So that's, you know, yeah. Like, I'm like a person like that. I don't, you I only feel and hear the negative. But, and you were such a, not that you were brought this on yourself at all, but like it was like it was just so much of people's insecurities, like people's my insecurities projected onto you, you know, like as as like an overweight kid, you know, watching you as a singer in a band, you know, wanting to be there and like being straight edge, and then hearing oh you're not straight. Obviously, I'm not straight edge anymore. So right, right. no, I completely relate to all of it. <laughs> but you know, like it's it's it was just like. You know, you put your insecurities on these people, you know, and then you mm-hmm. want, you know, not that you want to see them fail, but like you want to see them humanize. Like you want to see them like, yeah. Oh, he's he's doing this now, like, yeah. You know, like, oh, that's why he's losing the weight. Okay, well, that's that's why I'm not losing right, the weight. Yeah, yeah. Everyone thought I did like copious amounts of cocaine at the time. Yeah, it's like, didn't it fucking didn't have? I wish, like, I couldn't afford it. Like, it didn't happen. Like, you know. Yeah. It wasn't like that. Yeah. It just like stopped eating. Yeah started smoking more cigarettes and that was it you know well no it wasn't until I started smoking weed that I know it can happen right, yeah. out of nowhere right <laughs> I'm okay thank you oh sure I'll have yeah thank you well Wes this is it buddy you gotta go play in Cold Cave and we didn't even we didn't even get to some girls we're still in American Nightmare barely we got to the first 7 inch we got the first 7 damn it will you do part 2 yeah, absolutely. I, I wish I could stay longer. Dude, um, this is fun. I, you yeah. know what? There's only so much dredging of the past that someone can deal with in one sitting. So I find most right. of them have to do part two. Drill, baby, drill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, we got we got a whole we got a whole other 
slew of topics to get to, and then our uh, shared roster membership, too, to get to eventually. So oh, yeah. we're going to have like six parts of this coming. Okay, well, I'm glad we got to meet up finally after Botch attempts. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I have a list of the first people that I wanted to interview for this podcast. You're like one of the first names oh, on the thank list. Thank you so, so much. Finally, well, I remember when you, you started it. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, right. exactly. Right when I started, I was like, okay, so we're gonna have it. But then life gets in the way of podcasts. You yeah. know, what can you say? Other lives. Get exactly. Real life. But dude, thank you so much thank for you. this. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Wes, for coming on the show. Now, of course, Wes is going to be back for a part two. Because we, we didn't get anywhere in this one. So we're going to get further in the next one. Um, but what a guest. What an amazing guest. What an amazing good time. Speaking of great guests, speaking of great times, next week on the show, one of the best from the best coast, living out there on the best coast as well, Bob Bruno of the band Best Coast. And we're just going to keep it... We're going to keep it kind of, uh, you know, like we're keeping kind of like the hardcore hardcore vibe going for these last few ones, you know. Maybe we'll keep it going for a little bit more. But the next one, I tell you, you know, if you're just familiar with Best Coast music and you don't know too much about Bob Bruno, you're in for a surprise. This guy, whoo, gets deep. Gets deep next week. It's an interesting one. It's a fun one. So please, we will see you all next week. Thank you very much for listening. Go out there and make your own culture because anyone can do this stuff. You can also, once again, find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien, uh, Fucked Updates at FuckedUp.cc. Subscribe to this. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you over there on Footnotes. Thank you for listening. Bye.